And so, yeah, I'm very lucky that, you know, through coincidence, through my, so, you know, my, my short time comparatively in, in this career that I've ended up in a wonderful place like this. Um, and yeah, and the experience has been pretty tremendous. I mean, I never thought in a million years I would be working in a house like this, let alone in ballet, which, you know, yeah. I, I never really experienced in a, in a professional as as someone working in it, I, I had never thought of that, and yeah, and so I, I mean, I, every day is a is a growing experience, and I'm I'm taking every moment I can and soaking it in. Today, I'm talking to Edu Frankel, who is a composer, conductor, and a pianist. Good morning, Edo. It's so lovely to see you again and to talk on Zoom. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. Thanks for thanks for talking with me. Yeah, so the last time we met was uh, over a nice coffee in Vienna, uh, but you're back in London now at the Royal Opera House. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I took the, the trek here uh, during during the strike, uh, as we mentioned previously, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's nice. To, it's a nice place to work. You know, it could be no. worse. Royal Opera oh. House. You know, <laughs> of yeah. course. But now you're a you're a conductor, you're a um, pianist, and you're also a composer. And That's right. um, I assume you you started playing the piano as a child, or or where did your music career start? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had kind of an unorthodox start, I'd say, uh, compared. To, well, I, which I I mean, I wouldn't even know that until I got to uh, until I got to college. But I, I sort of. I'd say uh, noodled around on the piano. I always liked to just kind of come and make noise. So I start basically improvising and I didn't read any music. And it wasn't until I was in high school where I had lessons and sort of started my formal music education. But of course, music was always in my house. My parents were always enormous advocates of, uh, you know, of, of the arts and I would go see ballets and operas at home or live in concerts uh, or music theater. I mean, endless variety of genres. And so, uh, yeah, it's, you know, music and art have always been part of my life, but I didn't really decide to make it my, my life's work until uh, actually I, when I was in college, but I think, yeah, the early foundation was really in high school when uh, I took my first lessons with a guy named Alan Anderson, who was uh, uh, a graduate of the esteemed Juilliard, you know, school. And he was just teaching at uh, Northeastern University in Chicago, where my family was living at the time. And uh, yeah, and, and he sort of embedded within me this sense of discipline, which I think was uh, otherwise non-existent in my uh, artistic life, where I, I mean, I was just sort of, like I said, messing around and improvising. And, um, and even when I first started with him, I would basically be trying to copy recordings because I couldn't read music properly. So I would buy a score of music that I thought I liked and put it on the piano. And then I would find my favorite recording and sort of 
press play, find the notes, look at the score, sort of try to associate it, and then very, very slowly sort of learn a piece that way. And uh, when he learned I was doing this, he was not pleased. So we sort of, okay. you know. Uh, yeah, but anyway, but he he had a lot of patience for me. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, very gradually I learned how to read music and, you know, sort of developed uh, a structured way of learning and playing that I still, I still fall back on those kind of foundational mm-hmm. things. Well, I love this story. I love the fact that you can do it that way because uh-huh. because you we sort of have this idea that, yes, when you start playing the piano, you have to start at the age of four or five, and it's this this specific route that you're taking. And I love these stories where people just say, "Hey, I just, you know, at a very um older age than than the normal um musicians." started and I did this and it's interesting also that you taught yourself this way and that you said you you just played around a little bit but that 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 must be part of who you are now as a musician oh. the fact that you have that had that freedom oh sure um well yeah well first uh, you know to speak to your point about I think the sort of conventional wisdom of learning and advancement. Um, I mean, and, and I'm not the only living proof out there, but certainly I don't, I don't adhere to that at all. I mean, even when it comes to learning languages and advancing, I mean, it's never, it's never too late. It's just a question of one's affinity and finding a way inside. And, you know, so, um, yeah so so there's that um but yeah i think you know what might be sort of an unusual thing you know especially in the context of classical music because i don't think in any way i'm i'm individual in this in the broader context of art but i you know i find that that sense of freedom that i started with i mean i it's very much part of my practice now something i would not have necessarily thought of, or, I mean, I certainly, I was taking it for granted. Let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. And, um, and now actually, as I've kind of continued writing music and playing and conducting, I noticed that actually my practice is much more connected to that sense of freedom or that kind of desire to explore and to question and to seek those kind that kind of feeling of like whoa what is this i want to i want to dig into this more and uh, and i really like that i mean and i and i'm sort of drawn to other artists that do the same kind of thing uh you know and so i have this sort of like like all of us we have that kind of community of influences built within us and mine just happened to be, you know, from a pretty far reaching, diverse array of genres and specialties ranging from, you know, uh, everything from, like we were saying, dance or free jazz or noise music uh, and that sort of thing. One moment. Sorry, I'm okay. at room reserve. Thank you. I'm in a room. Okay. 
That's fine. And uh, yeah, so, you know, building that kind of uh, inner community of influence, of inspiration, I think, you know, for me is part of that kind of structured part within the freedom. It's just that, you know, you're, you're always drawing on the early days, but then building kind of a, a sort of mythology, an inner mythology within yourself to like draw from when you're making stuff. So. Yeah. And it's also now interesting what you're saying, because I think um, what, what I've heard from many young musicians also is that they have this there's this idea of you have to do competitions to get you to uh, the next level or to uh, be known and um yet you have not done um it that way you've done it in a very no. unconventional way and and you are working now in one of the most well-known houses in the world the royal oh Times, yeah isn't it it's true. yeah it, no it's true um well yeah i think it's a very interesting uh again convention or sort of accepted uh norm within artistic communities especially within classical music that you know competitions have sort of become a, a beacon or a bellwether through which people are sort of discovered or make a name for themselves. And I just, I, yeah, I don't, I have no desire to be part of that. I tried once and I, and I have applied to like, you know, a couple of the bigger com competitions in the past for conducting in particular, but to be honest, I'm, I think this is sort of antithetical to the practice of arts and yeah. there are so many artists his, like historically you know who had no connection to this kind of approach some did but you know uh i mean you know there's there's an old joke you know or to me it's an old joke anyway i mean how many how many master's degrees does beethoven have or how many competitions did you know cecil taylor win or you know one of these big big names i mean it's for me, it's it's so much more about a life and building a, a creative life around what you do. And uh, and my old conducting teacher, who I'm you know still very close with, I mean, you know, he always tells me, listen, you know, do the work, do it well. You can't you can't stop good work. You know, that's that's the, the proof is there. And so, yeah, I'm very lucky that, you know, through coincidence, through my, so, you know, my, my short time comparatively in, in this career that I've ended up in a wonderful place like this. Um, and yeah, and the experience has been pretty tremendous. I mean, I never thought in a million years I would be working in a house like this, let alone in ballet, which, you know, yeah. I, I never really experienced in a, in a professional as as someone working in it, I, I had never thought of that, and yeah, and so I, I mean, I, every day is a is a growing experience, and I'm I'm taking every moment I can and soaking it in. Yeah. But do you think also that this has made you more daring in the sense that you um, uh, take on things that you just think, hey, I can do it, or 
you know that you you come <clears throat> from that idea th- from from where you you had that freedom, but then it gives you sort of um, a perception on of what you are capable of. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the origins of my self-motivation. I do have uh, a very strong will. So like I, yeah, if I'm, if I find myself drawn to something just on my own time, I'll absolutely dedicate a lot of time to, to it. And, and for example, I mean, I'm, as we speak, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm trying to put together some concerts in London just with some friends, you know, and with some pretty ambitious repertoire, I think, which totally feels normal to me. But I think, you know, well, from what I gather from sharing my experience with other people, they find this kind of startling that, you know, where do you find the time to to put those concerts together, to do your job here? and you know and then to compose and you know i i don't yeah i don't know the origins of that i just think that we're all capable of doing that if we want to and it's i think the the secret is just i mean maybe you know like i don't know maybe maybe this is a pathological thing maybe it's a talent it's in itself but like you know i think that curiosity and the will to push towards it and to work towards that. I mean, I, I think that's sort of the, the reward in of itself. And maybe that's what, you know, the, the, the vision of that realization of those goals yeah. is sort of what motivates me. So I don't know the origins of that, but that's, it definitely pulls me through from one mm. thing to the next. So, um, amazing. Um, yeah. But now tell me about ballet conducting. Because that's always very interesting to me. Um, and uh, how did you find, or how did you get yourself to to be a ballet conductor? Oh, uh, well, I, I was living in Paris at the time. And I saw that, you know, the, the Royal Opera House, you know, they have these different programs, you know, that they, they sort of search for assistant conductors. And uh, I saw that they were looking for a ballet conductor person or a pianist for that matter. And it sort of piqued my interest. And I submitted. And when I, first of all, I never thought I would ever get an audition, but I, I did. And when I received notice that they were inviting me, I, you know, I was like, oh, I really need to do some research what this is actually about. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, I started watching a lot of ballets, reviewing mostly a lot of the old films that I used to watch as a kid, whether it was like the Cinderella that Magui Marin did in Lyon or um, watching, you know, productions of The Prince of the Pagodas or Spartacus. You know, these are, you know, for me, the, their childhood memories as much as anything. And so just reviewing like what the intricacies are and you know, that sort of thing. And then I had this audition, which was absolutely the most fun I've ever had in an audition. It was this multi-round thing. And one of the things we had to do was 
actually work with dancers. They sort of had a workshop situation. We had the swan like uh, the the white swan pas de deux, which uh, you know Prince Siegfried meets uh, Odile for the first time, and he's when he's in the woods with his crossbow and all that, and uh, we just did a workshop basically on this. Uh, we I mean we had two to prepare. There was that one in the the Rosa Dash from Sleeping Beauty, and so um, anyway, but we we've primarily focused on the on the Swan Lake uh, White Swan, and we just the working together, so the you know the sort of experienced guy who's the I think he's the principal conductor in the Birmingham Royal Ballet sort of walked us through what to watch for and whatever, and I just had a blast. I just had a great time, and I sort of attached it to some of my uh, you know my my training as a new music person, you know, which is how I got into conducting in the first place, doing contemporary music, and then opera, which I had done professionally before but this was different in the sense that you you really had to watch you couldn't you couldn't just rely on your on your ears as as one is accustomed to as a musician and so but it was just really exciting and it was fun and i i took to it and i i just i just had fun and then to my delight they they said oh well you know it seems like a, you're, so they, they took me in and they said, oh, you must have had an experience doing ballet before. And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. I absolutely, <laughs> um, which, you know, not not advisable necessarily to lie in, in an audition, but fake it till you make it. That's the American yeah. way. What can I say? Um, but uh, no, but in this case, it, it worked out very well. And and I'm yeah. And I'm like I said, I'm very lucky. And every day is a learning experience. I mean, I've gotten now to do, oh gosh, um, I don't know how many, so seven productions last year, seven and productions, so like, yeah, 14. I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm covering shows. So, mm -hmm. which means I'm like the assistant for, you know, for the, for all the, the main stage shows. And then, you know, for some pieces, especially the, the new creations, you usually get more involved. And uh, in some of the kind of repertoire pieces, you're more fly on the wall, but it's you really get to absorb the music and see the ins and outs of the particular production. So it's a very exciting, very exciting yeah. thing. But you're working with a great team. I mean, Paul Murphy and Kun Kessels. Oh, yeah. Jonathan Lowe. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, I mean, they're wonderful colleagues. Uh, actually, Paul was the person in the story. I was referring to. He's a really, really lovely man, and and Kuhn. I mean, I've learned a lot from from assisting him and just talking to him about the repertoire and about the world of ballet. You know, not just conducting it, but you know, the whole scheme of it from you know the the short period of the Diaghilev ballets and the creation of like the Tchaikovsky ballets in collaboration with like Petipa and like it's Sleeping Beauty and. Um, I mean, the whole, the list would be endless if I, yeah. if I were to list for you. Um, yeah. Well, I did an interview with, with Kuhn Kessels uh, during lockdown, and I was just absolutely amazed at how much insight he really has into uh, a dance, uh, dancers, you know, and, and, and uh, they, they're just, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I think it must be the, time that he works with them 
uh, all these years that he's worked with ballet dancers, do you find also that you have now a different way of seeing or looking at ballet and and um, a different appreciation for what the dancers are doing? Oh, well, the appreciation, absolutely. Like, I mean, at first, when you first come into a studio, you're sort of watching these, you know, living statues, which look like, you know, Greek sculptures, just doing these seemingly impossible things. You don't even know where to, to begin to, to understand what you're looking at. And very gradually, you know, you start to kind of get past the initial awe and you begin to understand the technique and you learn the names of the moves as well. You know, you, uh, you engage with the meaning of what they're doing and see how it's actually reflecting often some kind of story or certainly some inexpressive, <clears throat> inexpressive element. And, you know, and that, that, that took a long time, actually, I would say, you know, I mean, every day still I'm, I'm learning a new way of understanding what I'm seeing. And, and also I will say this to understand the way in which they are listening to the music because they have a very strong, uh, but unique relationship to sound and everyone anyway has a, a very individual way of listening, but dancers just by training and by the way that they connect, uh, physicality movement to sound, I think, I think gives them a very, very particular way of listening that, uh, I think is, is very special and different. So, you know, that takes a long time just to realize, yeah. let alone start to get into. And, uh, as far as working with dancers, I mean, that's, that's also a process of discovery. I mean, you know, again, everyone's an individual, so everyone has their own peculiarities. The things they like to do. Some people like you to lead more in the sound. Some people like that you follow them more. Some people need more space, less space, faster, slower. Everyone's different, has a different body. And so different things that come out, everyone feels the beat of the music in a different place. So depending on where, you know, where they feel it, they'll want certain moments of the music to come at certain places it's it's a very fascinating and and unique thing but i have to say it's it's you know it's another way for us as conductors or you know musicians you know, to understand music as well i mean conducting anyway is is you know relatable to dance sort of in a one-to-one mm -hmm. -one way i mean we're sort of interpretive mm -hmm. dancing in front of an orchestra so uh yeah it's a very yeah, it's a very worthwhile and fulfilling pursuit and, you know, gives a different side to, to art making. But it's also not something that uh, all conductors can do automatically. Things some conductors do, opera, and and so it's uh, it's not automatic that you, you're a conductor, so you can do ballet conducting. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think it depends on the culture also. You know, I mean, I think conventionally, you're absolutely right, especially in the Western part of the world. Uh, you know, ballet is pretty niche. And so, you know, on the occasion where a conductor will do music from a ballet, it'll be in a concert context 
or it'll be a snippet from Nutcracker usually. Mm-hmm. And that's it, you know, and that I think has to do again with the way that you're able to relate to, you know, what the dancers have mm-hmm. to do, you know, knowing that, oh, well, right there, they're doing a particular kind of lift or doing, you know, a particular kind of jump or, oh, there's a manege there or, you know, oh, she wants more time on the arabesque. Like, I mean, that changes how you have to think of the phrasing in order to work together, you know, and it's not so much, it's not so much being tied to what's happening on stage. Cause I think one of the things that does sort of, uh cause some consternation among conductors is oh well you know i can't have my own interpretation it's like no you you can you just you're working with someone it's like when you're playing chamber music with somebody or improvising with somebody the whole point is to listen to them too it's not just about your ideas so i i i I quite welcome the the collaboration with what's happening on stage and so and very often i mean like with any collaborative experience it only enhances the ideas we have anyway it pulls you in a new direction but as far as the nicheness of of the ballet conducting i mean i think there are some cultures in which it's sort of part of the metier it's part of the genre of of conducting i mean i my understanding is in russian training for example you know if you're a conductor you're a conductor and that means you should be able to do all these different Oh, I see. Different things, whether it's choral conducting or ballet conducting, but absolutely, it's true. I mean, you know, in you know, in the U.S., for example, where I did most of my studies, um, oh yeah, like I, I mean, it never would have occurred to me, never, mm-hmm. because it's not part of your education. I mean, there's opera next door to you, right? You have mm-hmm. singer friends. You're, you know, as a pianist, you're working with them it's always part of the you know the the social circle it's in your ear but ballet is you know they have their own schools they're sort of separated from everything and unless you're in a training program like you know the constant lambert like you know the yeti parker um you're not necessarily going to have that connection and the the training to be comfortable with it and i think that's sort of where the discomfort is it's because i find actually in terms of waving your hands and working with an orchestra that part of it is the same where the difference begins is your sense of musicality has to be more flexible adapting to a particular production or the needs of the dancers and moreover it's about uh, being open to, you know, the, let's say the visualization or the movement associated with, with the sound and the communication. That's really what I wanted to say. It's the communication because there's a very different way of speaking about the music. Uh, because again, many dancers, some, some absolutely have, have uh, a great, you know, understanding of, of jargon of music, but many don't, though they're very musical people. And so you have to find a way to communicate and understand oh, yeah. even just where you are in the music. And so that I think is really where the training is extremely useful. 
and understanding the that there is a different process at work here and there there are new possibilities in the music that is not necessarily intuitively part of the musical training but i mean that makes but it makes it very exciting to Mm -hmm. work together but uh, you're also a composer Yes. And, and how does this influence your work now? Oh, you interesting. It certainly have to do with movement as well. Yeah. You know, that, that's part of your, your life. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. Um, well, there is a long tradition of movement-based sound making. I'm reading a, a book now on, uh, it's called Forces in Motion about Anthony Braxton. He happens to be coming to London soon. I'm very excited about seeing his concert. So I thought I'd read this uh, kind of biography about him. And I mean, even in, in that, in that creative music circle, what he calls basically, it's like the uh, community of improvisers and seeking alternative kinds of ways to structure music and that kind of thing. But, the, you know, he has a chart of just the visualizations of different kinds of sounds and like, you know, and how that movements themselves can be used in in pieces uh i mean i think about also like you know peter ablinger and his augenmusik kind of thing which is like again visualization of sound and even some pieces where you're just meant to look at them you know uh and just whatever sound you have in your head that's like the piece um so there there is some you know precedent for that kind of association. In my particular case, it's I, it's influenced me in, let's say, a more concrete way in that, I mean, I'm writing a, a ballet for the first time. I mean, it's a really? modern dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, okay, so the short piece, like let's say, you know, the goal is like maybe a 30 minute something. I'm, I'm working together with a wonderful dancer here, Calvin Richardson, who's also fantastic choreographer and we're really working collaboratively starting from the movement itself Um, and we've been talking about this for i mean upwards of a year now um but basically uh, my i came to him with this idea you know that i i took from uh, lucia dugoszewski who was a polish american composer and choreographer who was uh, married to a choreographer called Ethan, no, it's not Ethan, <laughs> Eric Hawkins, who was a um, sort of one of the students or protégés of Martha Graham, who founded his own uh, dance company. Sort of not super well known, a bit more more obscure. But I was very drawn to Lucia Dugoszewski's kind of process that she created around designing music or sound environments from movement. And so that's sort of, that was the premise of uh, starting to work together and experimenting and well, and conceptualizing more than anything. And we're starting now to finally find material, let's say, to actually make the piece. So it's a very, very slow, gradual process. And I have to say it's it's very exciting because Calvin sort of invited me into this process of choreographing as well and likewise i'm i've invited him to sort of uh weigh in and into the process of composing so it's it's a really you know 
Uh, it's a really interesting close collaboration that, I mean, sort of speaks also to the kind of history of outside art making in a way, because, I mean, we both have our individual expertise, but, you know, to invite the other into oh. that expertise mm -hmm. to contribute it, I think is a really unique, really unique thing. And so it's, yeah, I mean, it's, we are still sort of in the process of, of discovering exactly what the piece will be. But I mean, we've, we've discussed such interesting, far reaching influences such as, you know, Alvin Lussier and the philosophy of, you know, Sartre's uh, critique of dialectical reason and various ideas of space and time and, you know, just anything you can, you know, sort right. of think of and just, yeah, slowly combining these and, uh, you know, and it, it again speaks to the, you know, the influence of when you collaborate with someone for, with a different perspective, you, you suddenly discover new things. Yeah. So, so in that sense, I mean, I'm, I mean, it's brought my composing to a new direction because I wouldn't be able to even start to think of the ideas that I'm starting to work with, you know, in, in the sound without, without this kind of thing and being able to try firsthand, you know, which for me is, is very important. You know, the idea, like you were saying, you know, when we, when we started talking about the idea of freedom and to experiment and to explore yeah. I mean, the, the hands-on part of it is, is very important to me. So, yeah. I think it's amazing because now it's two types of communication that that's brought together, you know, with him, with the movement and you with music. So it's, um, it's wonderful that, that, that type of collaboration, because it's, it's usually seen a bit separate, isn't it? That that the the choreographer takes the music, um, that that that's the way to work around. And now Indeed. this way, yeah. Now this way, it's it's at the same time um, a creation. Absolutely. Um, no, and uh, yeah, and that's true. Yeah, normally, actually, the pieces finished or in some form and then yeah. you know the choreographer will respond to it uh yeah but i, I like working this way it's a yeah. it's a proper kind of creative endeavor where you're it's always it's a process of searching you know it's you know i'm i'm always really drawn as we were saying at the beginning you know what what draws me in to making things making art is sort of the same sense of awe right or seeking that awe that i felt at an, on a number of occasions where you you're in a concert or in a show or in front of a painting sculpture and you go wow yeah how is that allowed how is that possible you know and i find that you know if you leave yourself open to the new experiences, even in the process of making it, you're you're opening yourself to get closer to that feeling. Yeah. And yeah, because that in the end, that's sort of the point to me of mm -hmm. making making things, of being creative, is to you know have that have that aesthetic feeling of uh, of just you know profound you know, awe and mystery and being confronted by that. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like the, the 19th century idea of the sublime, you know, but yeah. you're faced with, you know, someone else's creation or someone else's abilities or, you know, or, or your own sometimes if you're lucky, you know, to, you know, but it's, it's a matter of being open. Yeah. But this is what I'm, uh, was thinking also about, uh, and, and mentioning about the daring, because this is something that I think, um, if you're always just going, doing con- the conventional things or the things that have been done before and that you think, okay, so this is how it should be done. But because you have not really done that, it, it opens you up to also, trying new things or trying different things or things that haven't been done before. This is the daring part that you think, okay, so I can do it or I can go there and try it. And if it works, then great. And if it doesn't, then at least I've tried it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, well, I, well, I, I think you're right. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, I don't know that it's, if it's because I went an unconventional path, like, I don't know, again, I don't know the origins because it's true that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely, you know, driven and drawn to, to different things without uh, necessarily, you know, consideration to the, let's say normal path, you know? Um, But I think, anyone can can do it i think yeah. i think it's just, it's a human thing it's but i think the difference is you know when you're if you're part of a system and you find immense success and gratification within that system mm-hmm. i think there's not a lot of incentive to look outside of it yeah where i think the opportunity is to discover your own way is where suddenly something isn't working for you if you were sort of slightly outside and that is sort of the beginning or an obligatory beginning to question or to find another way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but I think if you're doing really well, if you're winning, let's say competitions and if you're getting invitations to stuff and, you know, you're, you're part, you're an entrenched part of an institutional mm-hmm. situation, a path, then yeah, why, why yeah. question what you're doing? You're doing yeah. great. You feel great about it. People make you feel great because they're telling you you're great. There's mm-hmm. no incentive to kind of find your own way. I think and it's, you're in your, and you're yeah. in your flow then, you know, you're in That's your right. flow. It, it goes. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think those folks who, I mean, and and there's, again, there's many historical examples of this, the people who, whether individuals, collectives, communities, what have you, the ones who sort of have that moment of, uh, of, well, what Sartre calls group infusion, the sort of shared collective idea of suddenly, oh, we need to move towards another you know, vision of reality uh, are usually the people who have this kind of um, self-conscious awakening. They say, oh, well, this system isn't working for me in one way or another. 
or you know sometimes people are moved so much by the art they witness or by you know conversations they have with a friend you know um but ultimately it's again an aesthetic thing where suddenly you have this kind of profound or what feels to you anyway a profound realization that something needs to change and i think that's usually the moment where you know you say ah here are some other possibilities for living or for going forward you know and actually this is quite a now that i'm thinking out loud sort of i mean I, this is sort of the <clears throat> the premise of even like in foucault's kind of postmodernism in the third volume of history of sexuality he talks about this doesn't it? like what the art of life or you know um you know or the motivation of like sun ra to like why he makes music and why he's interested in sounds that upset people it's, it's to, to break people out of their complacency and mm. yeah and i think that's yeah and so yeah i think perhaps uh, maybe there is something to the idea that because of my you know starting doing doing it my own way you know yeah. without, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't my choice necessarily yeah i just that's how it started it was by chance maybe there is something to that but i do think that anybody can i don't think i'm special in that regard i don't i think it's just another human thing that can happen if you're open to it mm. well i always think of and this is now totally uh well a little bit different but yeah. um I always think of Charlie Albright, the pianist, who did his concerto in Carnegie Hall. And when he did the encore, he played Great Balls of Fire. And um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And I think that's the way to do it, you know? Uh, to Absolutely. Just, yeah. To just do your thing. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I completely agree. I yeah. completely agree. Uh, so, yeah. But <laughs> now... Um, Ido, tell me now, uh, what are the wish now for the future? I know you're working on this great piece with with um, Calvin, but what for you for the future um, would be great to to have? Yeah, wow. What would I like from the future? Um, uh, well, world peace would be great. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I guess in terms of my career, which is i guess what you mean yeah um i would like i mean i i would love to have my own group mm. where we do a variety of things um you know ranging from opera to ballet to contemporary music that mm. sort of thing i would love to uh continue my you know rather far-reaching compositional collaborative collaborations that I'm doing kind of ongoingly, you know, in a sense uh, to continue what I'm doing now, but just, you know, to always advance forward and to always be thinking about the, the community that I occupy and moving towards, you know, like always, always looking for the, for the deeper meaning in, in, mm -hmm. in what I'm doing. 
Wow, this is um, this was so inspirational to talk to you, Ido, oh, and um, I'm so looking forward to seeing the ballet that you're doing, that the the composition and the choreography and and the work that you're doing with Calvin. And um, but I just have one last question for you, and that is, okay. um, can you do a shout out to your favorite coffee place in London? Oh, sure. No, or your favorite um, restaurant. My favorite coffee place in London. Uh, I give a shout out to my to Arom, absolutely fantastic bakery and coffee place. Uh, yeah. Amazing espresso, great pastries. Okay. Can't go wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. Um. But Ido, have a lovely afternoon, and thank you so much for your time. And please let me know when you're in Vienna again. Absolutely. Looking forward to talking more soon. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.